The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel said, saw Eliab and thought, ha, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinabab, and as he passed in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel says, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the liar. He will play when this evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Samuel said to his attendant, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the liar. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. 
Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. It's really good to be here. Uh, thank you so much for all of you that joined the ordination last Sunday. Um, it, it obviously was a big step in my own uh, process um, and road um, in, in the Lord's ministry. So even late in life, uh, God does surprise you with, with the way that he calls you. Um, Kathy said that, you know, your role often changes. Um, and I find myself at the age of 50 being ordained for the first time. Um, it's very exciting. Which ties in very nicely with, with the big question that this text sort of raises from the start. The question here, um, or, the, or the issue here, is God's providence. And I wondered if, if someone would come to you and ask you, what, what is God's providence? How would you explain it? How would you explain it in a way that would be useful for, for the people listening? So God's providence is all over this, all over this story. It's a really good story. At, at Volokhov, we are working our way through 1 Samuel. We are ending our series with David and Goliath this afternoon. So if you're up for a fight, you're more than welcome to join us in the ring. Uh, this afternoon, we are going to finish off with a bang. But the series is called um, God's King for God's People. And this particular uh, chapter is where we get the, the title from. So the title for the sermon is the title for the series. God's King for God's People. So here we will meet God's King for Israel. And up until now we see that God has appointed Saul um, as the first king over Israel. But, but he was the king that they wanted. The king like all the other nations had. He wasn't God's chosen. He wasn't in God's timing. He, wasn't, he hadn't had God's character that he was looking for. Um, so he wasn't, he wasn't the guy. He wasn't the chosen king. He, he was a king like all the other nations around him. But there were echoes, there were sort of promises in 1 Samuel, all through 1 Samuel, of an actual king that was coming. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, every time... Samuel speaks to Saul, um, you know, after he's done something really stupid, and God has rejected him. God says to uh, Samuel says to Saul, "But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after His own heart, and appointed him ruler over the people." So there's a promise, and suddenly in in one Samuel 15, the same thing happens right at the end of the chapter. Samuel again speaks to Saul, and when he speaks to Saul, he says. Samuel told him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. So there's these promises of a king uh, that is coming. And everybody's saying, who is this guy? What does he look like? When is he coming? So there is hope. There's this promise of hope. In chapter 16, then, where we find ourselves, marks a major change in the, the whole story of 1 Samuel. It actually it marks a, a massive change in the whole of the Old Testament story. 
because it begins the extraordinary story of the coming of David. Israel's great champion, poet, prophet, king, warrior. Uh, David's the man, right? I mean, he can sing and fight. (laughs) He can write poetry and he can sort out a giant. He wrote the most famous psalm, Psalm 23, and a whole bunch of others. And he killed Goliath. He's the most frequently mentioned person in the whole of the Old Testament. He's the second most called out name or used name in the whole of the Bible after Christ. And 3,000 years after he lived, he still inspires us, right? With his faith and his courage and the way he serves the Lord. David is a faith superhero. He's also mentioned in Hebrews 11 as part of that list. He really is a faith superhero. And, you know, like most superhero stories, uh, if if you've ever watched them, if you're into Marvel, uh, if you've got kids that age, as an excuse, I've got a really good excuse to watch them, then you'd know that most superhero stories have an origin story. Where does Superman come from? Where does Spider-Man come from? How did he become that? And chapter 16 is David's origin story. It's how he became king. And throughout all of this story of his origin, we are going to see God's providence wounded in. And we are going to learn a couple of things about God's providence. First of all, we're going to have a look at some of the characteristics of God's providence. And then we are going to have a look at God's providence through the Holy Spirit. And then we are going to see God's providence in giving a king, specifically. So some of the characteristics of God's providence... God's providence through the Holy Spirit, and then God's providence in giving a king for his people. As I said, so let's have a look at some of the characteristics, and that's going to be woven in, as as I said, throughout the story. At the end of chapter 15, uh, the story really ends at at a horrible note. It's a super sad ending. Saul had a very particular flaw in his character, and that was that he had a tremendous fear of men. And that fear of men, whether it's a big army outside of himself or his own men that he wants to please, that fear of men caused him to be uh, disobedient to God's word. And because of that, God rejects him. Um, And I'm going to take you through chapter 16 and show you how God's providence, after that sad story, we flip the page and we come to chapter 16. But in order for you to see God's providence, you need to look out for a couple of things. You need to look out how God is working sort of behind the scenes in order to provide safety for some, uh, community for others. He guides people. uh, He governs absolutely every event in the story. Uh, And he even uses the free will of man in order to get to the point where he elects the king, for God's people. So in verse 1, it'll be good for you to have your Bibles open. We're going to point to some of those scriptures all the time. So verse 1 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, 
I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now one thing that we can note already from for God's providence is that God's providence is very specific. It's not a vague something in the air. It is very specific in this case. He has chosen a particular son from a particular father, from a particular town, in a particular area in, uh, in, in Israel. God says he chose the king. Chapter verse 2. But his providence landed Samuel in hot water. Verse 2 says, But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about this, he will kill me. And then the Lord gives him an answer. Because if he is going to anoint a king, while the king is still on the throne, that is equal to treason. And rightfully, he can be killed. So he's got a real legitimate problem here. He said, I, I would love to obey your word, but I'm in real trouble here. And God's providence, another thing that we can see from God's providence, God's providence gives real-life answers to uh, real-life sort of, uh, problems. So he says, all right, here's, here's, the, here's the answer to your problem. I'm not going to give you one command. I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you three commands. First of all, you have to say something. Then you have to invite and then you can anoint. Say to them that I have come to sacrifice. Okay? Then invite Jesse and his family to the sacrifice. Don't just say it, you're going to do it. Right? And then while they're there, anoint the king. So if anybody on the way tells you, what are you going to do here? You don't lie. You tell them at least half of the truth. You say, I'm going to sacrifice which was perfectly legitimate for Samuel to do. So he goes, he invites, he says, he invites, he anoints. Um, and as, the, as, as uh, Jesse and his sons comes in, his eyes is out. Right? Who's the king? Who's going to be the guy? Which one of these really handsome guys are going to be, again, the king of Israel? The first one, uh, or, the, or the second one, I can't wait, because the first one was an absolute disaster. So when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. This guy looks like Captain America. Right? Surely it must be him. Surely. But then the Lord said, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I'm sure when you read that, everybody says, Amen. <laughs> right? That is such a true word. But there's a, there's a bit of a danger there. Because it does sound like, your heart's not right, your heart's not right, your heart's not right. Your heart's right, therefore I will choose you. And we can think, oh my goodness, in order for God to use me, I need to get my heart right first. And that's not biblical, right? I hope you hear that there's something not right about that order. When God chooses Israel, for example, back in Deuteronomy, He didn't choose them because they were the most holy. He says in Deuteronomy 7, He says, the Lord did not set His affection, He didn't love you because you were more numerous than the other people. No, you were the fewest. You were the smallest. 
God chose you because he chose you. Because you were in his heart first. God didn't choose Israel because of the state of their hearts. Uh, God chose them because he loved them first. Romans 5 says the same thing. If God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. right? Christ died for us. So what do we do with this little statement uh, in 1 Samuel? Well, the commentator John Woodhouse gave a bit of a, a door out. He says he thinks that what's going on here in David's choosing is the following. David was a man who, who knew and loved God and trusted him. That is right. Uh, but God didn't choose him because of how much God was in his heart. God chose him because of how much David was in God's heart. And that makes a lot more sense if you hear what he has said. So you, David, you're a man after my own heart. Right? So it's very easy for him, looking at the Hebrew, to say it's, it's good for us. It's, it's, it's actually quite right for us to think that God has chosen that sentence could read, people look at the outside, but God looks what's in his heart. God looks at him who's in his heart, and he chooses according to that. Which makes a lot more sense biblically. So God's providence is very much aligned with what is going on in his, God's heart. His unchanging affection is a far better place in terms of your identity to know that I've been chosen not because what's in my heart, because that changes and can go backwards and forwards a whole lot of time. It's far better for me to know that God has chosen me because He has chosen me. I'm in His heart for some reason, and that's not going to change. So the concern for us obviously, after we have been chosen, is to align our hearts with his heart. Right? Our hearts can't then just say, oh, okay, God is happy with me the way that my heart is. No. Uh, we should align our heart with God's heart as a consequence of being chosen, not as a prerequisite for being chosen. Anyway, so, in God's providence, he says, he says no to the first son, I haven't chosen him. So, you know, the first guy looks like Captain America. The second guy comes up, must be him. You know, he looks like Iron Man. He's, re he's the guy that says, no, it's not him. It's not Shammai, you know, it's not Thor. All of the seven Avengers, you know, walks by. God says, it's not one of them. And he says, all right, fine. Have you got another son somewhere? He says, yeah, okay, I've got a little boy. Youngster out in the, sh in the field, he says, we're not going to have any sacrifices until you bring him here. Now when he comes, he's not bad looking, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, do you know Spider-Man? Spider-Man is like 17 years old, he's still at school, before the spider got to him, you know, little scrawny guy, not too bad looking, but, but when he walks in, God says, he's the one, he's the man, and out comes David. So another thing that we can see about God's providence is it doesn't follow human wisdom. Because not even 
David's father thought that he was, you know, worthy of being shown to Samuel to be considered as king. So God's providence really doesn't align with human wisdom at all. It is very surprising. And we'll see this eventually when when we look at, the, at Christ, you know, it's quite a surprising person. He's not the Messiah that, we, that, the, that the humans were looking for. So, anyway, God chooses the one that Jesse didn't even bring to consider. And the rest of the story tells us that after God providentially chose David, he also, uh, according to his plan, gave him his spirit in order to do, to do the work of the king. So the Spirit of God departed from Saul and went to David. That's how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. He came and went for a particular purpose. He came on someone. But then he says this in verse 14. It's a very strange thing. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. What is going on there? He has said to be suffered from an evil spirit from the Lord. And we should not understand that as that God has sent a demon to possess him. It's not what that is about. It's not what the text is saying. David Tremuru is a, a Hebrew scholar and a commentator on 1 Samuel. And he says a, a, a the actual words in, in, in Hebrew is an evil spirit. There's no getting around that one. But how the phrase is put together is more accurate to, to translate that into English, saying, the spirit which brings forth disaster. God has sent a spirit to him that brings forth disaster. The biblical writer is actually making the point that David has received, he as the future king has received the Holy Spirit, Saul, the rejected king, has now the spirit has been, of God has been taken away from him. So what is he left with? His own anxiety, right? His, his own uh, personal strength, and that left him extremely anxious and vulnerable. So, in a sense, Saul's spirit, his anxious state of mind, was actually under God's control. So, it just so happened then that God caused Saul to have the spirit that had a disastrous effect on him. And in his uh, coming and goings as the king, it also just so happened that one of his servants notices this and thinks that the best thing for him is to have the lyre of the harp played to him. It's slightly random, but fine. It also happens to, 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 it also just so happens that Saul thinks it's a very good idea. It also just so happens that one of his other servants knows about a boy in Bethlehem, son of Jesse, who is excellent at playing the lyre, good looking, a warrior, the Lord is with him, he's perfect for service in the king's court. And so in God's providence, David the king, in waiting, got introduced to the life in the king's court. 
Now let's just pull up the handbrake here for a minute and ask ourselves, so what? These providences is great for David. I want to What's your name again? You just spoke? Me? Yes. Kathy. Kathy told us a story of how she got here. Think about your story about how you got here. How is it that it just so happened that your life story, your journey, made it possible for you to end up in this corner of South Africa, in this time of history, in this town, in this church, at this time. I hope by this time that you know that every time we say, it just so happened, it tells us that God has been intimately involved, providentially, in making it happen, making it make so. It just so happened that God was behind every twist and every turn and every eventuality to get you here today. 20 years ago, um, I was working in England. Um, I joined the South African congregation in the heart of London and it just so happened that I got to meet Veritas College which is a place that teaches people how to interpret the Bible. Absolutely fell in love with the concept, and I began taking all the courses and teaching them. It also just so happened that my wife was in one of those midweek Bible studies, and I joined the same Bible study. Uh, she happened to say yes. Just we so got happened. married. Just so, just so happened. She said yes at the right time. That's the right question. After 12 years of marriage, we've moved back and forth to Gauteng. I came from Kempton Park, moved back and forth. Also, just so happened that she had a family that lived in Somerset West. So we came to visit, fell in love with the place, and decided we will be teachers here. It also just so happened that I ended up at Christchurch Somerset West. Gavin Millard saw that I loved teaching the Word. He happened to be on the board of the trustees, uh, and that trust paid for my studies at GWC. It also just so happened that I ended up being doing my curacy at Christ's Watercliffe, and in August, September that year, David and Adele that planted the church got a call to Tableview, and the council just so happened to think that I should take over the church there. I don't believe that I am here by accident, and I don't believe that you are here by accident either. But God has been working constantly behind the scenes to guide us, to shape our circumstances, to reach His goal for us, to live for His glory in this part of town, in this congregation at this point in South Africa's history. His providence has a purpose. And we are here so that we can be disciples of Jesus Christ, serving one another as brothers and sisters, yes, that's right, in this church, in this part of Helderberg. And it's by God's providence that we are also a church, I'm sure that's true for you too, 
of disciple-making disciples. We are called not to be disciples only, but to go out and make other disciples. And by God's sovereignty, as we look in this passage, David was not left you know, to do this job on his own. All right, I'm anointing you now. Good luck, boys. No. no, he's giving him his Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave us to do this job either on our own. The power of the Holy Spirit is tremendous. And just like David, even though he had many human qualities, you know, he, um, he had all of those human qualities that we already mentioned, he lacked one particular element to be a really great king, and that is the Holy Spirit. He didn't have that. But that came upon him then and there, very powerfully. And verse 13 says that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And so if you're a Christian... God has given us the Holy Spirit too. Don't even uh, wonder about that for a second. Romans 8 verse 10 says the following. But if Christ is in you, which means you know, if you're a Christian, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, which he is, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Not only did God's providence lead us to be part of his family of believers, but he also gave us his spirit to enable us to be disciples who make disciples. And that's very encouraging. So why do you need to be Jesus' disciples? Can't we be uh, Gandhi's disciples, or Confucius, or Allah's disciples, or the New Age's disciples. What about the New Atheist's disciples? Uh, does it really matter? This passage doesn't talk about, just talk about God's providence in general for everybody's lives. This story is very particular. It is God's providence in providing a king for Israel. And that is very important. He provides David at the end of the story. We see that. But there is a problem with David. He is also a sinful human being, just like you and me. And the other problem is he is human. Right? So at the end of 2 Samuel, David dies. And then the rest of the history of, of Israel is kings come and go, and they, they are more bad than they are good. And the question keeps coming back to Israel, where is this king? Where is this great king that's supposed to to come and save us. So eventually, you know, it boils over and, and, and in, in Isaiah 42, Isaiah, just like God has given hints in, in 1 Samuel of a coming king, once, you know, Isaiah also gets this prophecy from God that says, here's a coming king, there's someone coming. Isaiah 42 verse 1, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. 
He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. There is hope. There is this prophecy. And as we look at Jesus Christ's life, it just so happened that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the line of David. It just so happened that he did miracles, he forgave sins, he had no sin of his own. He was tempted as a human, um, but it just so happened that he fulfilled prophecy. Because when Matthew, who was Jesus' disciple for three years, looked at the whole life of Christ, he's reminded of Isaiah 42, and he says, he's the guy. And in Matthew 12, he quotes Isaiah 42. And he says, he tells the story, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from the place, a large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what, the spoken, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and I will proclaim justice to the nations. And Paul writes, just under the influence of the Holy Spirit as well, in Romans 1, verse 1 to 4, listen to what he says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. What gospel? The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in his holy scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God, in power, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the only person worth being a disciple for. He is the king. The one that David was pointing to. The one that even David couldn't be completely. In God's providence, it just so happened that Jesus was the Son of God. He died on the cross for you and for me. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and today is that ruling king. He is God's chosen king for God's chosen people. And that is why we are Jesus' disciples and no one else's. I'm closing. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is really the hope of the world. God's king for God's people. So let us go out and be that disciple. And be the disciple who makes other disciples. And in God's providence, ask him, how can I do that? You have the Holy Spirit. Let's go and be Christ's disciples that make other disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, providence is not just a a vague concept. It is something that brought us to this place at this point in time in a relationship with you that we could never have imagined. Thank you for your providence. Thank you that we that you have guided every step of our lives and our stories up until this point. 
Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the King. And I want to pray, as we are committed to being your disciples, we are not satisfied to just be disciples. We want to be disciples who make other disciples. There are people in this town who desperately need you as their king. Help us to be disciple-making disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit, because we've really got the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 